You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. We're going to be in, uh, start in verse 40 today, actually, verse 40. And uh, I might have said 42 on your sermon notes, but it's verse 40, and you can just adjust, and it'll be fine. Um, so uh, we're going to actually start at the cross, and we're going to work our way uh, through to see the empty tomb. Um, but one of the things that, that I just love about being together with another Great Commission Collective Church is that I know that we are after the same things. Uh, we, we share in these common, uh, you call them pursuits. At our church, we call them family values. And uh, I, I love that one of them is called courageous evangelism. But I especially like your word pursuits because, uh, especially when it comes to courageous evangelism, it implies that this is something that we have not arrived in yet. This is something that we are pursuing, that we're seeking after, that we're going after together. And if there's one common theme that I hear from other pastors as I talk to them within the Great Commission Collective, uh, it is that no church has arrived in any of these areas, especially the area of courageous evangelism. This is, this is always the, the hardest one to go after as a church. It's one of those things that we know is the right pursuit, but we all have some growth to do in this area. I love the intentionality of your elders over the past month to, to be praying for and, and talking to your one. Praise God that if, if that is you, if somebody's been praying for you, praise God that someone loves you enough to pray for you and to tell you about Jesus, tell you about the only way to eternal life. But for almost everyone, almost every church, courageous evangelism is a challenge. You see, there's, there's evangelism. There's, there's telling others about Jesus. And then there is courageous evangelism. Telling others the good news about Jesus when it is hard. When, when there's a cost to it. When, when it's scary. There's courageous evangelism when you, when you tell others the good news when, when you don't know what the outcome of that conversation will be. Or, or even when you don't know the person that you're telling about Jesus all that well. Telling others about Jesus when, when it's going to mean upending our lives or our schedules or getting out of our comfort zones. Telling others about Jesus when we have to cross over some boundaries or barriers such as language or culture to get there. In calling this pursuit courageous evangelism, we're not just talking about telling others about Jesus when it's easy or convenient. We're acknowledging that true evangelism is always hard. It's always a little scary. But I think Franklin Delano Roosevelt said it best when he said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. You ever heard that quote? Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. And in courageous evangelism, we're confronted with the inherent cost of both following Jesus and telling others about him. 
And we are challenged to be courageous in our identification with Jesus by assessing that there is something, or more precisely, someone else that is more important than our fear. Namely, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. And because Jesus is raised from the dead, we can take courage to tell others about him. So we're not talking about fearless evangelism. It's not fearlessness as if we don't have any fear. It's courageous evangelism. Steal in your spine courage, knowing that our Savior is risen, and He is reigning, and He is calling all men to Himself through the gospel, and He wants this to happen even more than we do. And He is worthy of their praise and devotion as much as He is worthy of our own. And so here's the big idea that I want you to take home today. Take courage. Take courage to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead. Take courage to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead. This is not going to be a how-to on evangelism today. This is going to be a building up of our courage together to get out there and to tell people about Jesus in the first place. So your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 15. We're going to pick it up in verse 40 today. And so we're at the scene of the crucifixion. We're going to study all the way through chapter 16, verse 8, which is the scene of the empty tomb. But just to give you some context before we start reading, uh, I preached the Gospel of Mark at our church last year, and we said that Mark's whole intent in this book is to persuade us that now is the time, now is the time to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and we get that wording uh, from the beginning of Mark's Gospel when he says in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what he set out to write. That's what the gospel is. It's the good news of Jesus the Christ. Whenever I say the word Christ, I want you to think he is the promised, anointed, Savior, King. Why don't you say that with me? He's the promised, anointed, Savior, King. One more time. He's the promised, anointed, Savior, King. Christ is not just a name. It's not just a, a little title that he has. This is, this is who he is. It's not just a, a last name or something like that. And that's what Mark wants to prove, that he is the, the Messiah, the promised, anointed, Savior, King. And so early on in Mark's gospel, we, we get this theme of uh, secrecy. Jesus is like, I'm not ready to let this cat out of the bag yet. I'm not ready to tell anybody. But as the book of Mark progresses, more and more people begin to know. And, and it gets to this fever pitch urgency by the end of his gospel where we are now. And he is saying, now is the time. Take courage. Now is the time to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so in our context, Jesus has died. He's finished making the sacrifice to pay the penalty of our sin. He, he is going to rise again, but his, his disciples don't understand that. And, and we pick up the scene with, with the women who followed him closely looking upon the cross. 
Read with me in Mark 15, verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph, of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who's also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Take courage to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead. In, in all three parts of this section, we're going to see these women who followed Jesus, and they're getting closer and closer to the reality of the resurrection. And as they do, they're being challenged to faith in the midst of their fear. And then to tell others about that faith. And in the middle section, which I won't go into all the details, but it helps us understand the main point of this section, we are introduced to a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who is also challenged to take courage. And so as we work through this text today, I want us to see three steps toward courageous evangelism. Three steps that you need to take towards courageous evangelism. And the first is this. Observe his finished work of salvation. We must observe his finished work of salvation. In verse 40, we have the first mention of the female disciples of Jesus that Mark gives us. 
He introduces them at this point in his gospel because of their direct tie to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have a few familiar names if you've been around Jesus for a little while. We have Mary Magdalene. Uh, Luke tells us that, that Mary Magdalene had seven demons that Jesus cast from her and healed her. Then we have Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And we don't know that much about her. There's a slight chance that this is actually Mary, the mother of Jesus, because we know uh, from earlier in Mark, Jesus had brothers named James and Joseph. And we know that his mother was named Mary. So you put all that together, it could be Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then we have this woman named Salome. And Salome is the wife of Zebedee. She's the mother of Jesus' disciples, James and John. And Mark then says that there were other women there as well. And they all had followed Jesus since Galilee. Jesus' ministry and Mark's gospel started in the northern region of Galilee, uh, way up north in Israel, and, and it's described, Mark, Mark describes Jesus' ministry as one big journey to Jerusalem. That's how he organizes his gospel. And so the point is that these are really close followers of Jesus. They've been with him for a very long time, and all of them, all of their following has brought them closer to this moment. These women are important, important members of Jesus' larger group of disciples. And they have given the better part of the last three years of their life to serving the needs of Jesus. And now, they are simply watching at a distance. We have to realize this, in and of itself, is courageous. I mean, all the male disciples are scattered. They're just running off in fear. We do know that John, the apostle, is there because Jesus talks to him and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so we'll give him some credit. But the others, as far as we know, have been scattered since the previous night when Jesus was arrested. And so these women are at least there. But still, they can't do anything. They are so used to serving him, so used to ministering to him, and now all that they can do is watch from a distance. That's hard for some of us to come to grips with, isn't it? That our salvation is not about what we can do for Jesus, but about what he does for us. See, Jesus had to go to the cross alone because he alone is sufficient to save us. He died in our place for our sin because we could not save ourselves. And these women had rightly followed and served and given their lives for Jesus, but that is not what would save them. His work on the cross would save them. 
They were looking on as he bore the wrath of God for their sin. They are watching what sin cost. They are seeing what had to be done for them to receive salvation. And they are literally watching Jesus do the work of the gospel for them. Is that not incredible? And we must observe his finished work of salvation if we are ever going to participate in courageous evangelism. First, we we need to know and believe the gospel before we can tell others about the gospel. We aren't going to go out and tell anybody else about something that we aren't sure of ourselves. But in addition to that obvious fact, if we view courageous evangelism as a work that we must accomplish to earn points with God, to earn our salvation or to maintain our salvation, then we will actually undercut the very motivation for courageous evangelism. That is a motivation built on guilt and shame that will not sustain us. We won't tell others about Jesus until we've come to grips with how incredible, how amazing it is that he did the work that we could not do, that he did it alone, not what we did. It happens when we first and foremost believe the gospel. Deep down in the depths of our heart, we believe the gospel, that he loved us when we did not deserve that love ourselves. And so as you once again consider Jesus dying on a cross for you, performing the greatest act of love that the world has ever known, does that increase your love for him? Does that fill your heart with awe of him? Do you delight in him? Are you just overjoyed in him? That's where courage for evangelism starts. It starts in our relationship to Jesus Christ. He has finished the work of salvation for you. If you would turn from your sin and put your trust in him. So as you you look upon the cross, as you think about the cross, see, first and foremost, the, the severity of your sin. And then see the the sufficiency of your Savior and then love him for it. Love him for it. And realize that his death is not just sufficient for you, it is sufficient for all who would come to him in faith. All the earth will shout your praise. That's what we want, right? More and more people praising the name of Jesus. And there are millions of people who are out there who are trying to do the work of religion, who are trying to appease their gods, who are trying to earn points with whatever is out there that they think. But the Lord has finished the work on their behalf so that they would come into the relationship with the one true God. And so they need to hear. They need to hear that he is worthy of our worship because he was slain for them. 
For these women, they will get caught up in telling others about Jesus later that day. Later that Sunday, they're going to they're gonna tell the other disciples in great joy. But first, they must stand at a distance while he saves them. Now, Mark told us earlier that it was about the, the ninth hour, that is about 3 p.m., when, when Jesus breathed his last and, and there's this secret follower of Jesus who is wrestling in his heart about how he should respond to this event. That The Sabbath is approaching. Sabbath is about to start at 6 p.m. at sundown. And if this Jewish ruler is going to give Jesus a proper burial, he's got to do it now. And that's important because the, the prophecies had foretold, and Jesus himself had foretold, that he would be buried. But the Romans typically just threw you on a ditch. And so if this Jewish ruler is going to, to act, he has to do it now. And he makes a courageous decision. From Joseph of Arimathea, we see the second step toward courageous evangelism. We must align ourselves publicly with his kingdom. Align yourself publicly with his kingdom. Mark tells us that, that Joseph was a respected member of the council. That is referring to the council of the Sanhedrin. That is, the guys who put Jesus to death. But there's something different about Joseph. Joseph was looking for the kingdom of God. And when you see that little phrase in the Gospels, it, it, it means that... They are faithfully anticipating the coming of the Messiah in the right way. This is someone who isn't waiting for the Messiah the way that everyone else is waiting for the Messiah. They are expecting the right things. Their heart is open. And Mark had said in chapter 1 that Jesus came out preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. The, the rule and reign of God is here and now in the person of Christ. That's the kingdom of God. And therefore, because Jesus is here, now is the time to repent and believe the gospel. Now is the time to turn from serving other kingdoms and turn wholeheartedly to serve the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew and John describe Joseph as a, a secret disciple alongside another Pharisee named Nicodemus. Luke tells us that, that he was good and righteous, and, and he did not consent to their decision to kill Jesus. Possibly the, the Sanhedrin didn't even invite him to their sham trial. But up until this moment, Joseph's colleagues did not know just how aligned with Jesus he really was. I'm guessing they had their suspicions, but, but he never had come out with it. And, and so this was his moment. And Mark says that he took courage. There's our word for the day. He, he took courage. He decided to go all in. He crossed the pain line, as Rico Tice puts it. This was, this was career suicide, and he knew it. But he took courage, 
And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. And I don't believe that he did this because he, he lacked fear. Even the phrase took courage it implies that he had to <gasps> psych himself up for this, right? But Joseph had assessed something that was more important than his fear. Joseph believed that Jesus was who he says he was, that to, to him belonged the kingdom of God, and that he deserved the honor of a proper burial as a righteous Jew. And so he acted quickly. He, he went out and, and bought a linen Shroud. He would, have, he would have cleaned up the body. He would have put spices and ointment in there. He, he wrapped the body up and he laid it in his own tomb. And then he sealed it with a stone. And he did all of this before sundown. I wonder if when he rolled that stone into place, he, he, he took another deep breath and just let his thoughts catch up with him. He's like... What did I just get myself into? You see, there comes a time for every true believer that they have to make their faith public. You gotta go public with it. The Bible says that if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It, it's not just believing in your heart as if Christianity is just some you and Jesus thing that you never have to talk about with anybody else. Religion is one of these things that we say is off the table for all these you know, family table discussions or, or workplace discussions. We don't talk about politics and religion. Guess what? A relationship with Jesus isn't like that. You have to confess it with your mouth. It requires making your faith known. See, there really is no such thing as a secret disciple in any ongoing kind of way. In the earlier chapters of Acts, when the apostles were, were seen in the temple courts, it's it said that those observing could tell that these men had been with Jesus. It was obvious. When you, when you follow Jesus, when you believe in his finished work of salvation on your behalf, and therefore you find your new life in him, it changes you. You just can't get around that. He, he transfers you out of the domain of darkness and brings you into the kingdom of the beloved son. And part of that change is that you want to be identified with him. He's worthy of that honor no matter what it costs you. Now the first way that a, a disciple must publicly identify themselves with Jesus and his kingdom is through, anybody know? Baptism. Baptism. In baptism, you are publicly confessing with your mouth that you believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord of your life, and you are committing to follow him as a disciple of Jesus together with the local church. You are identifying with his death by going under the water, his, his burial by being under the water. That's what we're looking at right here. And then with his resurrection. And in some sense... Joseph is undergoing a baptism. 
He is publicly identifying with Jesus by entering into a grave with him. And so if you've never been baptized and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I would urge you, take courage. If you're scared of talking in front of people, if you're scared of water, whatever it is, take courage and publicly identify with him. Talk to Pastor Matthew or any other, other leaders here at Fairfax Bible. I'm sure that they would be happy to talk to you about how to get baptized. But isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that the first act of following Jesus is publicly identifying yourself with him? The first act of following Jesus is an act in itself of evangelism. I love that. You don't have to be some mastermind apologist. You just have to be able to tell people what happened to you. And then once you have been baptized, we, we continue to publicly identify with him, don't we? Christ followers, let me ask you this. Do people at your workplace, if you have a job, do they know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do your, do your neighbors know? Do your family members know? And how do they know? Let me be clear. I'm not just asking, do they know that you consider yourself a Christian? That you would check that box on a, on a survey or something like that? Do, do they know that you attach that label to yourself? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, do they know what Christ means to you? Have they seen you take courageous steps of faith that clearly demonstrate that Jesus is your life? Have you expressed your faith in the face of trial in a way that makes you stand out from the rest of the world? Do, do people see that your outlook on life and, and on this world on the whole is hopeful because you know that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he's coming back for you when he establishes his eternal kingdom? Do you know where your hope is coming from, and do others know that too? Do, do you talk about Jesus like you actually love him? I would urge you, if they do not know, cross the pain line this week. This week, start a conversation. Have, you, have I ever told you about the one who changed my life? Name drop Jesus like you had a conversation with him as your best friend this morning. Because you did. Talk about why you have hope in him, no matter what gas prices are doing or, or what the, you know, what's going to go on with the election this year, whatever it is. Publicly align yourself with his kingdom. And, and it might cost you. It, it might feel weird or unnatural at first. It might be scary, but Jesus is more important than your fear, I promise you. Joseph of Arimathea clearly loved Jesus. He loved him so much that he gave him his tomb. He 
paid for his burial clothes, and he ruined his whole life, humanly speaking, because of who he believed Jesus Christ to be. And let me tell you, Jesus did not disappoint. He would not stay in that tomb very long. He is the only one who can borrow a tomb and give it back. And Mark notes that that two of the women who saw Jesus breathe his last also saw the tomb where he was laid. And that's important because they need to know exactly where to go on Sunday morning after the Sabbath is over so that they could honor his body with more spices. And we are going to need to know that they weren't at the wrong tomb that was empty. In chapter 16, verse 1, uh, Mark jumps us forward in time to very early on Sunday morning. The sun is, is just breaking over the horizon. The, the other gospel writers say it was, it was still pretty dark. And, and as they were walking in that, that early dawn haze, they were talking. And what was one of their primary concerns? Mark tells us that they were talking among themselves, asking, Who is going to be strong enough to roll the stone away? Where might we encounter that kind of power? Mark emphasizes it was a very large stone. And so humanly speaking, they were justified in asking this question. But when they got there, it was already rolled aside. And this serves to highlight the power that is inherent in the resurrection. This is our final step toward courageous evangelism that we can take from this text today. Bear witness to your experience of resurrection power. Bear witness to your experience of resurrection power. So not only was the stone no longer a problem, the work had been finished for them, but also the death of Jesus was no longer a problem. Their spices were no longer needed. Verse 5 tells us that they walked into the tomb and there they see a guy sitting on the right side dressed in white. The other gospels are clear. This is an angel who appears as a man. And Mark tells us that they were alarmed. I'd say that's probably an understatement. If I was walking around the cemetery early in the morning and I saw a guy dressed in white in the tomb where I believe that a dead body should be, I'd be pretty freaked out as well, right? But notice how many times the idea of being alarmed or afraid shows up in verses 5 to 8. Let me read that again. Verses 5 to 8 of chapter 16. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Then you will see him just as he told, him, told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. When you see repetition like that in the Bible, you know that something is trying to be emphasized. There is a ton of fear surrounding this scene. But the question is, will these women 
take courage and do what the angel told them to do? Will they tell the others about the resurrection? Or will they remain paralyzed in their fear? These women had good reason to be afraid. The body was gone. There's a strange guy dressed in white sitting in the tomb talking to them. And who in the world is going to believe them, especially in a culture when women weren't even allowed to bear witness in a court of law? And so what will they do next? Where can they go that is safe? What what if people thought that they had taken the body? What if they blame it on them? All sorts of questions running through their mind. And, And that is where Mark ends his gospel. Your Bible probably has some verses after that. But there's probably also a note there that says, that the earliest manuscripts do not contain this ending. And most scholars would agree that, this, that the ending that comes after this is not the original ending to Mark, and that some well-intentioned but misguided scribes added it later because they thought an ending had gotten lost. But, but most scholars believe that Mark actually leaves us hanging on this question. Will they obey the command to tell others or will they remain paralyzed in fear? And I believe that Mark wants us, the readers, to be left asking that same question. Will we tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead? Or will we remain paralyzed in our fear? We have legitimate fears. What what if I lose my job? What if I say something dumb? What if the person lashes out at me? What if I lose the reputation, uh, my reputation in the community? What if I lose the relationship with them? What, What if Jesus calls me to share more than my faith? What if he calls me to die? What if he calls me to go somewhere else where I would die if I shared the gospel? We have legitimate fears, but we act like it's okay for those fears to control us instead of Jesus. Remember, what these women are ultimately witnessing. They are witnessing the power of the resurrection of the Son of God. They went to the garden thinking that the main problem of the day was a heavy gravestone. And they had no imagination that Jesus would solve an even bigger problem, the problem of death itself. See, Jesus had already overcome the problem of the grave, and having overcome that problem, he will, over, he, will, he will overcome any problem that comes as we proclaim the message of life, even the problem of death, even the problem of anything that you might be afraid of. He has got it because he can overcome the grave. 
And if death is not a threat anymore, then what is? That's where courage for evangelism comes from. It comes from seeing the power of the one that we proclaim. And the message that we proclaim is the power of the resurrection. We don't just tell a message of of sin and God's wrath, though that must be communicated and understood. We don't just tell a message of a, a guy dying on a cross for our sins so that we can ask him into our heart. We tell a message of a risen and reigning Lord who has paid for our sin and who has defeated death and sin and Satan. And we tell a message of hope that is stronger than death itself. We tell a message of life that is restored through the relationship of a life-giving Savior. Our lives and our words must bear witness to the reason for the living hope that we have in us that we just sang about. Our, Our union with our crucified and resurrected Lord. Now we know from the other gospel writers that these women did go back and they did tell the 12 and, and, and that women in general, and we can assume, assume that these women included, played a great role in the early church. But let's hang on to this question as we close out today. Will you take courage or will you remain paralyzed in fear? You cannot remain watching at a distance. You cannot remain a disciple in hiding. You must go into the empty tomb. Observe the finished work of Christ for your salvation. Align yourself publicly with his kingdom. And then bear witness to your experience of his resurrection power. Has he changed your life? If not, turn to him for salvation today. And if so, do you believe that he wants to change the lives of the people around you? If the resurrection is true, then Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And therefore, now is the time to tell others that good news. And so let's pray that we would have courage, that we would see the opportunities that the Lord is laying in front of us and that we would take them. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we confess, I confess, that we lack courage sometimes. That it is so much easier to to sit back and say nothing. It is so much easier to come up with all the reasons why now is not the time. But Lord, it it just shows that, that I still have work that you need to do. That I would not be ruled by my fear, but that I would be ruled by Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here 
that you would fill them with a resolved courage. And that through their witness, the lost would be saved. And that the saved would be matured. And that those mature disciples would go out and multiply other disciples. So that the the fame and the glory of your name would resound here in Fairfax and all around the world. Father, we need you for this. We are insufficient for this. So do your work in us, we pray. Just confess to the Lord any fear that you might have. Ask him to help you see the opportunities. Pray for your one right now. Then ask him to fill you with courage. Lord, would you be adding to the numbers here at Fairfax Bible Church those who are being saved day by day. We would pray it, Lord. We'd ask it, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ.